Welcome to the Being the Sanctuary podcast, formerly known as the Yes and Amen podcast. And now we are here, Being the Sanctuary. I'm your host, Priscilla Dominguez, and this is a space that would include conversations, teachings, and Selah meditations for Christians committed to being healthy and holy. Let's get it. All right, y'all, this episode is too good. I'm really honored and grateful that uh, Nijay is my first guest for this season because um, I was really ministered to in this episode. So stick around, make sure you listen to it. But let me share a little bit more about our guest today. So uh, we have Nijay Gupta, who is a professor, Dr. Nijay Gupta, excuse me, a professor of New Testament and Northern Seminary. He has written or edited over 20 books, including the Dictionary of Paul and his letters, A Beginner's Guide to New Testament Studies, The State of Testament Studies, and award-winning and best-selling Tell Her Story, which I love. If you have not read that book, go check it out. It's about how women lead, taught, and ministered in the early church, as well as commentaries of Galatians, Philippians, Colossians, and 1 to 2 Thessalonians. Nijay is also co-host of the popular Slow Theology podcast with Dr. AJ Sawabda and has bylines with Christianity Today, Christian Century, Biblical Archaeological Review, and Fathom Magazine. All right, let's get into this episode. Well, thank you so much, Nijay, for being here. I'm really just I'm grateful and excited to have you and, and to chat about the topic we're covering today. Thanks. Look forward to the conversation. Yeah. So you have a book coming out um, for those who are listening. When this comes out, the book is already out. Um, and this is obviously this is not your first book. You've How many books have you written? Oh, by myself, about 15, 12 to wow. 15. But I've, I'm an editor and I do other things. So. Yeah, wow. a little bit more yeah. than that wow. with the edited stuff. Something light, you know, 15. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's awesome. Well, so this is your 16th, about 16th book. Um, and I'm really looking forward to it. I feel like it's a topic that, um, you know, I think as being in seminary, I've been thinking about it a lot and learning a lot about it a lot from like the early Christians and mm-hmm. uh, what were they doing. But if I'm honest, like pre last year, um, before being in seminary, Perhaps I was not thinking so much uh, about what they were up to, how they were, even just like, you know, their everyday life. I just knew like they were talking about Jesus to everyone and they were (laughs) spreading the word, which is good and important. But um, I'm sure there was other elements to it. Um, So your book that's coming out is called Strange Religion, How the First Christians Were Weird, Dangerous and Compelling. Love that title. Um, And I feel like it's such an interesting topic. Can you tell me more about uh, about it and then also what led you to write a book on this topic? Sure. Yeah. You know, I'm a Bible scholar and I teach mostly New Testament. And one of the reasons I love studying the New Testament is I want to make sure the Christianity that I live out and I believe in is what Jesus and the apostles taught. And the unfortunate reality is over time, you can drift away from the theology, the mission, the cultural identity of where we started. And we saw that, we see that in colonization around the world. We see that in um, genocide and other things that are done in the name of Jesus. So we we all know the big things that happen that go way off track, but, but there are a lot of smaller things, you know, related to greed or hatred um, all kinds of things where we say, this isn't Jesus, this this doesn't reflect Jesus. And so, um, to be honest, the, the, the ideas for this book really came out of the pandemic, which really shook up the church, and you started to have online church. 
Um, so then we had to say, what is church? Like, what is, what is absolute? Like, what can we not compromise on? But then even when we started going back to in, in-person church, at that time, a lot of people didn't. And there was that feeling, at least here where I live in Portland, Oregon, that church is so bland and so quote unquote normal, there's no real draw to it. It's just like, oh, I'm going to go skiing or, oh, I'm going to sleep in on Sunday. I'm going to go for a hike. There wasn't that sense of like, this is a lifeline. I need this like I need breathing. Mm -hmm. So I think that was a wake up call to pastors to say, um, are we living the Jesus way that's going to be compelling and transformative? Not everything in culture is bad, but but Jesus always promoted a unique way of the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. And I think ever since 2016, we all know what happened in 2016, um, Christianity has had a, a time of reckoning in America. Mm -hmm. What kind of religion are we? Yeah. Um, are we actually, do we look like Jesus Christ? Or do we look like, and here in Portland, Christianity often has the reputation of amplifying the worst evils of society misogyny sexism racism extreme individualism greed nationalism you name it there's a reputation here because it's heavily unchurched so they're looking at what's on tv they're looking at what's in the news and they're saying christians just seem like the worst of society the worst of culture and that strikes me to the heart because my day job is reading the New Testament. When I look at the New Testament, I see a Christianity that was life-giving to people that were often hopeless or at the bottom of society in the Roman world. So there's a little analogy I use in the book that you might appreciate. So I went to Costco about five, six years ago, big Costco fan. And um, I started to get into coconut water. So I happened to be by the drink shelf and I tried many different brands of coconut water in the past. And I went to this, you know, one part of the shelf and, and the coconut water was pink. And I thought that was weird because in my mind, I'm thinking coconut water should be clear because, mm -hmm. it, you know, this is not refreshing. And lo and behold, there's actually a label on the box that says, why is this coconut water pink? And you read the label and it says natural coconut water is pink because when you open up a coconut and the liquid inside goes through oxygenation, it's touching air. It The sugars mixing with the oxygen turn it pink. But they said some companies will chemically alter it to make it clear, to make it seem healthier. Oh, snap. And so there's this big campaign, different companies, including Trader Joe's, to say, let's keep it pink because we want, we want the original stuff. And my argument in Strange Religion is I don't want to chemically alter Christianity. That's going to make it more palatable to people, to make them want it more. Mm -hmm. I want the real stuff. Just give it to me the weird way. <laughs> That's the whole premise of my book. Yeah. Give, it, give me Christianity the weird way. So I basically walk through all these different ways that the Christians were completely different than the so society around it. They were social deviants. They were religious deviants, political deviants. Now there's a second century critic of Christianity named Celsus. 
and Kelsus hated Christians. And he said, he, he said this in an exaggerated way, but he said, the Christians are so strange that if people wanted to be like them, they would no longer do what they were doing. <laughs> and his point is the Christians did everything the opposite way. My book raises the question, are we Christians basically assimilating to culture, but sticking a Jesus bumper sticker on it? Mm -hmm. Or are we injecting the DNA of Jesus Christ into every fiber of our being mm -hmm. and then living out however that comes out? And I think that's what the early Christians did, the ones that became Orthodox mainstream Christianity. And I think, and the, the question behind my book is, uh, the, the sort of what I want to leave people with is, would our spiritual ancestors recognize us as their true descendants? Wow. And I'd say mostly no. Wow, wow, wow. Sheesh. Um, I'm like, I don't, it's not an amen to that. It's like, it's a like, <laughs> yes. Wow. Right? Like, wow is the right word. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, um, and I resonate with that just deeply. Um, I talk a lot about that in kind of my ministry and my work, um, because that, that is a, I would say kind of like a deep, um, I guess you could say grief, um, mm. in my, mm. in my life of just, witnessing being a witness to that but also like being a witness to recognizing that um if we did it a different way if we did it the way of jesus like um it wouldn't change how hard things are how the things that we suffer in but it would change how the world sees jesus it would change right. how uh we come to jesus in suffering it would change how we lament when we are seeing global pain it would change our everyday lives and how um our interaction with our neighbor like it would just change so much and i think that's just so powerful um now i'm super now i'm like extra hyped to read the book <laughs> <laughs> because um you know, I think uh, just of when it comes to me, I'm I'm Dominican. I'm from the Caribbean, and uh, you know, uh, within my group of people, a lot of people kind of like believe in like ancestry worship, and obviously, I don't do that. Yeah. Um, but I do believe in learning from my ancestors and the things that they were able to do. And so I'm just like, even from if that if I can do that and embrace that culturally, I should absolutely do, do that in my spiritual ancestors, the people who were in the big, beginning of this walk yeah. and this journey with Jesus and post with Jesus um, and really seeing, yeah, the life that they were living. Uh, and I think, too, looking back in our past will shape our future. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so if we don't know anything about the early Christians, if we don't ever even consider the first Christians, then yeah. it it will shape how we manage or live out Christianity now, but also it will shape future Christianity. Um, and so what are some examples of ways you feel the first Christians, um, our, our brothers and sisters were living in that way mm -hmm. that perhaps are ways that we should be embracing more um, cur currently? Yeah, I mean, so many different areas, but I'll just give you a few a few pieces of the book. To start with, we have to understand Roman religions. We have to understand the backdrop of where Christianity came from and how it stood in opposition to Roman religion. If I had to explain how a Roman viewed God or the gods, it was basically that they were cosmic rulers and humans are cosmic, are, are, are mortal subjects. And so Rome was was uh, an empire, at least in the time of Jesus. And so they they tended to view their gods as overlords. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the whole idea was, you know, think of a colonized situation today or throughout history. You want to keep the rulers happy. 
You want to stay in their good graces and you basically want to stay out of their way. There was nothing like a heart religion. There was nothing about how do you feel about the gods. That didn't matter at all. I'm about to do taxes. and I've been working on taxes a little bit. And IRS doesn't care what's in my heart. They want to know whether or not I'm going to pay what I owe them. Mm -hmm. right? There's no line item for like, do you feel love for the IRS? They don't care about that. They want to know, are you going to do what you are expected to do? Mm -hmm. That reflects the Roman world where the gods are, the statues are everywhere, but the gods are actually busy somewhere else doing important gods things. And your job is just to pay homage to them with sacrifices and prayers, stay out of their way. Mm -hmm. Don't get on their radar. You kind of don't want to get on their radar. Right. It's kind of like when I'm driving around and I see a police car and I immediately tense up, mm -hmm. you know, because I'm worried. Like, so I drive really slow and I just want to get away from them mm -hmm. as soon as possible because I don't want to get on their radar. and They're going to maybe notice one of my headlights is out or something. It's kind of like that with the guts mm -hmm. and the Christians come along and they're like, not only is God close to us, but God actually wants to always be with us. It's the actual opposite of the paradigm. Mm -hmm. it, it, and I think what happened was they took the framework of the gods as rulers and they moved it into God as parent, as loving parent. Whole different paradigm because in the Roman world, you had to do all these things to appease the gods, sacrifices, oaths, prayers, all these things, say their name correctly. And with with the God of the Christians, there's grace, right? Mm -hmm. Hebrews says, let us approach the throne, not of power, yeah. not of authority, the throne oh. of grace mm -hmm. with boldness. So we're not coming in sheepishly. God, I don't, I used to have this when I was younger. I used to have this idea. I don't want to bother God because I used to worry about bothering my dad. He's a surgeon. Love you, dad. He's very important. He's a yeah. surgeon. So I, like after like 8 PM, we had to be quiet in the house. Dad's going to sleep. Christians approach the throne of grace with boldness and confidence, knowing that you will not, maybe you will get mercy and grace. Wow. That that's one taste of how the Christians were different. They said, you don't have to be afraid of God. You need to revere God. But you don't have to be afraid of God. Mm -hmm. He wants to be with you. He wants to hear you talk, pray continuously. Yeah. God is always there. He'll always, he's like Abba. He'll be there for you. It was paradigm shifting. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, in some ways that makes me, I just think of now of just like for some spaces and uh, whether Christian churches or Christian spaces that um, it kind of like when you were describing that, like the Roman, it, it made me, I was like, oh, that's some, you know, Christian spaces. Traditions, of, yeah. And even if my own personal experience, like um, I've worked for some churches and I felt that, um, th that I didn't, I didn't want to bother God, but also like I had to like earn this christian title um and and through like through works through being burnt out through yeah, not yeah. not being so busy working for god that i didn't even open my bible kind of you know life um and you know though even just the idea in the word that is grace i think mm. because it's so christian it's so we say it all the time um that we forget how powerful it is um and that like 
and that God just graciously wants to give it and provide it um, and invite us into receiving it. Cause that's, that's, there's a twofold, yeah. right? It was just like, yeah. he wants to give it and us also to receive it. Um, and, and I don't know why, but I don't, I just didn't think, I didn't think of when I think of the early Christians, I don't think of them like considering that and thinking so much about grace, but I would imagine, yeah, because they are witnessing kind of like the opposite, um, but also maybe even in contrast to what they have known historically in their Jewish traditions, they're now experiencing this thing called grace and this very di different thing. So I love that example because I think it can just invite us as leaders to be more mindful of how that shows up and how we teach that, but also just as Christians in general, um, to be displaying it and also just be willing to receive it from the Lord. Um, and so obviously they weren't saints, right? The, the early <laughs> no. Christians. Um, I, I mean, some people call them saints, but like they weren't saints in the sense that they were perfect or sinless. Right. Uh, right. What would you say are like perhaps mistakes they made that we can learn from um, in the, in those times, whether one or a few? Yeah, I actually have a chapter. I don't know if you know this. I have a, I have a chapter in the book called the, the first Christians weren't perfect. Yes. And that's because I think we idealize them sometimes and we say, oh, those first Christians. But if you read First Corinthians, um, the Church of Corinth was a mess. Some people have called it Paul's problem child because, you know, right from the start, like it's almost like a parent being called into the school because a kid misbehaved. Paul says, I've been hearing from Chloe's people that you guys have schismata, you have you have divisions among you. Mm. And 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 one of the temptations in early Christianity was to basically replicate the competitive and mean-spirited nature of some of the things going on in the Greco-Roman world within the church. So he says, some of you say, I am with Paul, I am with Apollos, basically creating celebrity rival tribes or camps. And so one of the problems we see amongst the early Christians is judgmentalism and condemnation of each other. And Paul and the apostles tried really hard to, to model a way of gracious unity. I love Ephesians chapter 4. I imagine Paul in prison, and he is unsure whether he's going to make it out alive. Mm -hmm. Right, he, if he were a cat, he's on his like eighth, eight and a half, half life. So he's really worried, and so I think he kind of writes Ephesians as a kind of greatest hits of his, <laughs> of his preaching messages, and one of them is about unity, and and he's basically thinking, if I die, what legacy do I want to leave? And he talks about one faith, one baptism, one body, because of one Christ, one Spirit. And that requires patience, that requires compromise, that requires graciousness to say, um, my enemy deserves grace, even within the church, especially within the church. Yeah. And so, for example, this is this is an example I think is really helpful. Philippians chapter four, Paul is talking about two women in the church, probably leaders. Their names are Yodi and Syntyche. And he says, I want Yodi and Syntyche to, to basically be of one mind in the Lord. We don't know what they are disagreeing on about. If it were some petty small thing, mm -hmm. he would have probably said that in a separate letter that was a private matter. So I think it had something to do with the life of the church, how the church operates. And what's beautiful about what he says is he doesn't, 
he doesn't judge either of them. He doesn't condemn either of them. He actually commends both of them. He says, both these women strive side by side for the gospel. Their names are written in the book of life. Then he sends help. He says, I asked the yoke fellow, we don't know who that is. I asked the yoke fellow to assist them, whatever they need. And he basically honors them wow. both. Mm -hmm. He says, both of these are great women of courage and faith. Find a way to come together in a spirit of unity for the sake of the Christian mission. Not one of you win, one of you lose, but to say, because our unified mission is more important than our differences, how can we move forward and not be against each other? Mm. That tells us two things, that the apostles were very clear and firm about the importance of unity and also that Christians didn't always get along. Yeah, yeah, that's powerful. I think, um, you, you know, that I think that is the quote that is, there's nothing new under the sun. Is it that? That's yes. The quote? Yeah. Yes, um, and so even whenever I read that, that those verses about like people being un, like kind of undecisive around who they're following, but also like kind of creating celebrities, which was like, oh, we're dealing with that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I love how you mentioned, you know, like just the consistency, consistency um, narrative of unity. Right. I was just talking about even that this week of um, us being within one body. Right. Like. Mm even just God to describe us in that way, that we are one body, like not one house in different, like, you know, rooms that people are doing their own thing in the room, like all parts of the body have to do with one another. And that's such a powerful thing to be remembering. Um, and so thank you for that. Yeah. That example of even just being focused on that, uh, even also unifying with people that we disagree with. Right. Um, mm. I think sometimes I can be, um, just a, a misunderstanding people think because we disagree like we're in each other's corners and i'm like no still the body still the body yeah. disagree yeah. but still the body um one word in your in the title of your book i'm very intrigued mm -hmm. by um because usually the word dangerous is i, I mean i live in new york if someone says that a yeah, yeah, you dangerous, get it. i'm not walking down there. you know like i think of yeah. usually kind of like has to do with like negative connotations um so tell me more about why you chose that word and what made the first christians dangerous yeah well this goes back to the roman world and as you may know Rome had a lot of gods. They had the traditional Greco-Roman gods like Jupiter and Juno and so forth. But they conquered lots of other nations and they had a tolerance policy when it came to incorporating new gods into the Roman pantheon, whether it's from Mesopotamia or from what we think of as Western Europe. They would basically allow it, but they would police whether or not it was going to be a helpful addition to the pantheon so they basically operated with two categories uh, religio was the category of safe and beneficial religion and superstitio where we get the word superstition meant dangerous religion and so kind of like in america where we we have a policy of welcoming outsiders but we police the border they would welcome outside religions, but they would police and monitor whether those outside gods are going to be safe or unsafe. Mm. And uh, so I take the example of, of like fireworks. I lived in the great Commonwealth of Massachusetts for five years. And um, in Massachusetts, it's one of the few states that doesn't allow individuals to buy fireworks. 
So I, in the Midwest, I'm from Ohio. Around July 4th, there'll be little little shops set up everywhere where you can buy fireworks. You can buy big ones, expensive, you buy little stuff. Massachusetts, you can't do anything. You could do like those little sparklers. That's it. Mm. And the whole idea was fireworks are too dangerous for non-professionals to handle. Mm. Now, in the Roman world, you had a system of priests. They're Roman priests, and they're often elites. They were rich and famous people who kind of bought their way into a prestigious priesthood, especially in Rome. So if you want to interact with a god in Roman religion, you had to go through certain mediators, priests, temples, and sacrifices. These were the channels of connecting with the divine. Mm -hmm. And the Christians come along. Number one, their god is invisible, whereas... In the Roman world, you have statues. You know what the gods look like. Mm. Number two, Christians didn't have sacrifices. Number three, they didn't have temples. Number four, they didn't have priests. Nobody, in, as far as we can tell, nobody in the first two centuries in Christianity had the title priest. Now, I have a lot of friends who are either Catholic priests or Anglican priests. I'm not saying that there's no room for them, but I'm saying their priesthood is an extension of the ministry of Christ mm. and Christ is the only true priest. I hope, I hope I said that right for my Catholic friends. <laughs> um, so this was seen as dangerous because it was like the Christians were walking right up to God without a mediator. Mm. And so think about, we, ha we have a place here uh, on the West coast called mod pizza. It's kind of made to order pizza like subway where you, pick your toppings and everything, and then they put the pizza in a brick oven. And so you might wonder, why can't I just walk in, put toppings on a pizza and stick it in the oven? Why does this person have to do it? And the idea is this person is trained, ideally, right? They're trained to not get killed by putting something in like a, a 600 degree right. you know, brick oven. And the same idea was with Roman religion. You can't just start interacting with the gods. You can't just wield spiritual power. Think about mm -hmm. the apostles doing miracles. And if you fell into their shadow or you touched a handkerchief, you could be healed. Mm -hmm. For example, in the Roman world, um, crucifixion was reserved for the worst of society, which included slaves, criminals, but also magicians. Now, this is interesting. When we think of magicians, don't think about like, David Blaine or Houdini, <laughs> think about like a sorcerer. And, and the whole idea behind the danger of these people is they could wield limitless power because they could tap into the power of the gods. And Christians were saying, we have the spirit's power in every single one of us. Mm -hmm. Romans saw that like sticking a stick of dynamite in the hands of an endless number of people. Think about how dangerous that is. Yeah. But then think about how much power we actually wield because of God. It's incredible for God to invest that in us. Oh, you're about to make me run around this room. Praise the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes. Amen for amen to that. Um, and I think of just like how then can we live that out and embody that right now in the sense of not necessarily trying, you know, trying to be sometimes we can go to an extent of like trying to be like Re rebellious and i'm like i, I think yeah, our goal yeah. should be to be consecrated right to mm -hmm. be um like sanctified not to necessarily like 
be a rebel like of society and all these things because we still want to minister to people and reach people and um and not also and also not compromise the gospel right so i think that's such a good example of of how they did that um and then the final question is what have you personally feel that you have implemented in your life um that you've learned from the first christians I think, you know, I've been, I've been working with different taglines for the book and, and thinking about how I can kind of help people understand what I'm getting at. And I think one of the key ones is the willingness to be different. Because what I see in the earliest Christians is they were so, they were so entranced by Jesus. They were so caught up in Jesus that they were willing and able to to buck the norms. How many times in, in, in Western society have we needed a person like Martin Luther King Jr. or John Perkins or Rosa Parks, right? To, to be the first person to do something different or to be willing to sacrifice comfort and sacrifice being normal, right? So you said consecrated. The word that came to my mind is courageous, courageous and creative. Yeah. Christians, the, the, I heard this theory. I'm getting off the subject here a little bit, but I heard this theory from a friend of mine named Rick Watts, where he said before the Christians, technology as in um, advancement in society wasn't wasn't a value because people prized holding on to tradition. And there's nothing wrong with that. But you didn't see advances in how to make a bicycle or how to make a wheel or whatever. You didn't see those advances because people didn't prize that. But when the Christians started talking so much about the future, so much about the inbreaking of the kingdom of God, they actually shifted Western society towards innovation. How can we make this world better and better and better and better and better? Now, they weren't the only people ever to do that. But it was built into their into their skeletal structure mm -hmm. that God has big plans for this world. God has big plans for this world. I can't tell you how much we need that message right now mm -hmm. because of all the things we're facing in 2024, politically, ecologically. Um, on the news, we're seeing more and more anti-Asian hatred, mm -hmm. anti-Semitic hatred. Mm -hmm. We're struggling with our education system. We're struggling with identity politics issues. I can't tell you how much people today need hope. Yeah. The people of the first century that followed Jesus were people that believed that because of God, things are going to get better. Wow. How many people sitting at home or in a hospital or on the streets need to be reminded that with God, anything is possible. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Uh, that's, that's such a great place to end on of just like um, learning from our brothers and sisters um, that are first Christians and in, in what actually hope looks like lived mm. out. Right. Um, so it's like, there's to, to feel that we have hope and to say it, but it's just like, what does it look like? to even just display hope um, and share hope um, in, in just the midst of the hardest of things. Uh, you know, I, we went through 
the pandemic together. And I feel like maybe for some people, it was just like the height of like the worst <laughs> of things. Um, but but yeah, there's just so much pain going on. Like we're seeing so many things happening, you know, presently. And um, and I think more than anything, they we could we could think that that is evidence to be hopeless. Right. Um, but we have to remember that, that there is bigger evidence to have hope, which yeah. is in Christ. Um, so thank you for that. Thank you for writing this book. I'm really encouraged by it. I'm I'm excited for it. Um, I'm grateful for it. Um, I think, too, just like uh, being someone who like studies the word teaches on New Testament, I'm encouraged because, uh, you know, for me, at least when I went to some when I started seminary, I was like, this is going to be so academic. No one's going to have the spirit. And it's just been really I'm so grateful that I've been proven wrong, like that okay. um, there is the academics and the spirit. And I see that in you, too. So I'm just really grateful and I'm excited for your book. So thank you for being here. Um, tell us, tell people where more information about you, like if you have a website or if they could follow you on, on Instagram, all the things. Yeah, thanks. I am on social media, um, busy with family, but I do try to get on when I can. But I have a I have a podcast uh, with my friend Dr. AJ Swoboda called Slow Theology, where we basically help Christians who are struggling with deconstruction, disappointment, and disenchantment with seeing and following Jesus in the mess of real life. So I encourage people who are wrestling with those kinds of things or know people who are wrestling with those kinds of things to check out our podcast that is awesome yes thank you and like we said strange religion how the first christians were weird dangerous and compelling coming out or by the time you've heard this already come out kim already came out so go get it amazon all the places all the things thank you for listening i hope something shared in this episode equipped you as you continue to grow as a healthy and holy sanctuary if you don't already follow this podcast be sure to click that follow button so you can be notified of future episodes and if this podcast has blessed you in any way and you want to support then leaving a rate and review is the best way you can do that keep being a sanctuary and i'll see you next time